Bikini Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Faith Walkers, thank you for joining us on the Awaka My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Rachel L. Proctor. She's an entrepreneur and author who helps people turn ideas into successful online businesses. A self-proclaimed market research junkie, Rachel has hit seven-figure sales marks as she's built a versatile and trusted learning resource hub for aspiring and successful business owners alike. Dedicated to equipping entrepreneurs with the skills needed for success, Rachel provides free business training on concepts including branding, budgeting, profitability, productivity, and more with an emphasis on real-world skills, accessible technology, and holistic learning. Rachel helps students pinpoint their unique ideas and turn them into profitable life-changing business ventures. Please welcome to the show, Rachel Proctor. Yes. How are you? How are you? How's it going? (laughs) I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. (laughs) And I am excited to have you here. I've been following you for quite a while on social media and I love everything that you're doing and how you serve. And it's just an honor to have you. I'm excited to chat with you today. (laughs) So I love to start the show with an icebreaker question because I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by, but a title that's not given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. And every time someone says your name, they're declaring that meaning to you. So I would love to know, Rachel, do you know what your name means? You know what? Yes, actually, my name is a Hebrew name and it means innocent lamb. So I've always mm. thought that was <laughs> thought that was interesting. But yeah, my name is actually uh, has a Hebrew origin. I love it. So before we get to where you are presently, I love to start at the very beginning and ask, you know, what did you want to be when you're a little girl? Because sometimes that gives us some insight into where you are presently. So, you know, take us back to when Rachel was a little girl, what did you want to be? So when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be an architect. Um, I was actually, when I think back on like growing up and like things that I did as a child, I was kind of, well, they might be, they probably were perceived as a little strange. So I always wanted to be an architect and I would actually go into 
the grocery stores. And mind you, I was like five years old, six years old. Um, and I would get, they would have like, when you would go into like grocery stores, they had these books. I don't think they so much have them now, but they were like these books where they would advertise homes for sale or, um, you know, buildings that were going up and they would have floor plans. And I would actually get these books every time I would go into the store. And like, literally I would go home and I would go through the books and I would look at the homes and like the elevations and I would be drawing like floor plans mm-hmm. <laughs> as a six or seven year old. And it was the weirdest, like I'm, I'm thinking now, like, I'm like, wow, I was like six years old, seven years old, like doing that. And although I am not, uh, I'm, of course, I'm not an architect now. I do kind of still look at the things that I do in terms of uh, even with my, you know, I do real estate, I do investing, stuff like that. I still do look at a lot of what I do and the skill set that I was even building and just kind of tapping into at a young age as architectural in terms of like design or strategy or just looking at, you know, how things are actually built, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and how homes are built, but then looking at how that translates over into a lot of the other things that I do in terms of building a business, meaning starting with the foundation and then looking at all of the other things that go into making something solid um, and beautiful at the same time. So I still look at a lot of what I do as architectural, if that makes sense. I love it. And see, that's part of why I asked that question, because as kids, our imagination is so vivid. You know, we dream about all these things and we fantasize. But then as we get older, society and people tell us to be more realistic. You know, they start to limit our belief in a thing. And it's like you took that same foundation of what you wanted to be and made that into, you know, who you are today. So that's why I love to hear the backstories of, you know, what you wanted to be when you're little and see how it correlates. Yep. 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 That's so interesting. I, ne- I never even really put it together like that until you just asked me that question. And I was like, well, it really is kind of like a lot of the same things in terms of, like I said, even approach and mindset. It- it's all building something, right? Starting with the foundation and then, you know, building up from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into coaching? On accident. <laughs> <It's accidental. laughs> so like coaching is relatively a new thing. So a little bit about my backstory. Um, I actually come from an entrepreneurial family. So my dad was a pastor and he was a businessman. And so because of that, I literally have never worked in corporate America. I've either always worked in the ministry or we've always worked in our family business, or I've always worked for myself in some capacity as an entrepreneur. And so one of the things that started to happen, like maybe like around the 2009, 10, 11-ish type, when like blogging and all of that stuff started exploding, um, I started being very interested in like that dynamic and what was happening in, you know, in that world. And so I started just, um, I said, well, you know, I started following a couple of people in terms of people that were kind of really getting into that space and really making a name for themselves, like Michael Hyatt and Seth Godin and these individuals that were, you know, really blogging a lot and they were actually starting to make a living from it. And so long story short, I knew that, you know, I wanted to do that, but I didn't know how people were actually making money from it. And so some kind of way, like, you know, I took, I started to try to take my knowledge that I'd had growing up, like I said, um, growing up in an entrepreneurial family, like I can literally be remember being like 13, learning how to make payroll, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's how long 
our family just emphasized that lifestyle. But I was trying to take the things that I'd learned building a brick and mortar business with my family and translate that into the online space. And it doesn't work like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started like looking at the blogging, but trying to figure out, okay, how are people actually making money? And so from that, I started really kind of going down a rabbit hole and finding these people that were being what was called coaches. And, you know, at that time, coaching is relatively new in the grand scheme of things. Right. And so that's where I kind of stumbled upon like these different business models of like becoming a person that is simply selling your wisdom, selling your Mm -hmm. knowledge. Right. And showing Mm -hmm. other people how to do what you do. And so it was kind of, like I said, through a lot of trial and error, through a lot of, you know, going around in circles, um, I really found, like I said, my footing in coaching when I actually kind of found the right mentor and coach to, if if that makes sense, like to help Mm -hmm. me make it all make sense. So it's like, okay, how does blogging and all these things, which blogging eventually turned into what we know more so now is like content marketing, right? And Mm -hmm. how all of these pieces kind of, so I kind of feel like I grew up, you know, with the, with the, um, with the development of this whole world that we know now when we think of online coaching and digital marketing and content marketing and all of these things. So I feel like I kind of just like found my way, like I said, through a lot of trial and error to wind up being a coach and somebody who is able to show other people who want to do the same thing, especially how not to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <more so laughs> how to do it because I can, I can write a book on how not to do it. Um, like I said, it's a lot of mistakes, a lot of just throwing spaghetti at the wall, but that is kind of how I got here. And I absolutely love being able to um, just kind of serve as a guide for others that want to do the same thing. Wow. You know, you had so many points within there that I would love to unpack. Like sure. a lot of people, a lot of people assume that on their journey, you know, they need to know how they're going to get there or how they're going to do a thing. And you even started by saying you started by accident, which, you know, I believe nothing happens by chance. Everything happens for a reason. You know, God has his plan. We just don't always know in advance what the plan is, but you had to go through this trial and error to find your way. But the beauty is in the journey in what you learn along the way. And then you got a coach. So you got some guidance, you got someone you know, to help you figure it out. And now you're helping others with that knowledge to figure it out. I love it. Yep. 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 It absolutely is a journey. And I think if I could go back and do it all over again, I would absolutely do it the same way because there were so many pieces that I picked up in terms of just resiliency and, um, I guess, skill sets that I picked up, right, that Mm -hmm. I now have a better appreciation for um, Mm -hmm. as I grow in business and as I move into other areas of life that I don't think I would have had the opportunity to develop if I hadn't went that that route. So I absolutely love the fact of, you know, hindsight is, of course, 2020. And looking back on it, it absolutely served as like a training ground for me to build up a lot of aspects that I now realize how much I need um, that I think if I would have tried to fast track my way there and go another route, I wouldn't have been able to develop it and develop the appreciation for it. Right. Right. I love it. I love it. So what inspired you to write the book, My Best Year Ever? Wow. That is like kind of like my baby, right? 
I've always wanted to write a book. I've always loved writing. Um, and it was always something I knew I wanted to do. However, my approach for writing a book, I never felt like, I, I guess I could never really get the book out because I never felt like I had a story or had anything that anybody would want to read. Like, mm. I didn't feel like I had a lot of the things that I felt like were interesting enough or substantial enough to actually write a book. And so I realized, though, that through that process, again, everything's a process, but through that process, I realized the reason that I couldn't write the book when I wanted to write the book was because I wasn't, I had not become the person that I needed to be in order to write the story mm. that was actually going to make an impact. And so through those years of saying, okay, I have this goal to write this book, right? It's on my vision board, you know, all these things that we do. Um, and I still could never get it out. But a lot of it, I think it was a twofold thing. It was like, I didn't feel like I had enough. Um, and, and that's one thing I think I want to kind of really hit home with this that I learned through that process too. And this may be um, helpful for some people out there that want to write stories. Like sometimes we just don't feel like our stories are enough when that's absolutely not true. Right. Um, we feel like we have to have these, I don't know, Guinness Book of World Record breaking, like, <laughs> you know, things that happen in our life to make for an interesting story. And I've learned that, again, just by telling your story, telling, sharing the lessons that you've learned, no matter how simple they may seem to you, I've learned that what seems like very simple and natural to us is rocket science for somebody else or like just the thing that somebody else needs to let them know that they're not alone in that. Like they're not right. the only person that has struggled in these areas. And so there was a lot of things that came out, uh, out in terms of really birthing that book out. But one of the things, like I said, is I had to get over the fear that my story wasn't enough. But also I had to realize that through going through what I went through, that it was enough. And it was the thing that I needed to go through to become the person that was going to write the book. Mm -hmm. When you speak to becoming the person, and I think for many of us, you know, we may have people that we look up to or that we admire. And if we are going to change our self-image and our identity of who we are, we, we need to become you know, who we desire to be and feeling like your story isn't enough. You know, you pointed out like you absolutely are enough and I can't even stress that enough. You know, sometimes people will be in my DMs and talk about, well, they don't think they have a story or they don't think whatever, like your story may be about you, but it isn't only for you. Your story mm -hmm. could be someone else's blueprint. You know, there is someone out there willing to, pay for what you know right now. There is someone out there right now that could use your story to get up out of bed. You know, there is someone mm -hmm. that could benefit from hearing your story to move forward in life. Like we don't realize how important our stories are. Right. Right. And I think through going through the things that we go through, right? It writes the book for us. Like right. for me, a lot of the things that when I realized it, when it was time for me to get the book out, it was very easy. Like I got the book out in, in less than 30 days because the book was really already written, right? right. It was just recognizing the value and what I, what I had to work mm -hmm. with and the value of the lessons that I'd gone through over that period of time that God took me through. 
realizing the value of it and the book really wrote itself. It wasn't a lot of just me having to conjure up these ideas like they were there, but it came with me changing my perception on what I went through and the value of what I went through to actually get the book out. Right. And I think that it's so important that you even spoke to it. It took you 30 days to write the book because there are people that have been trying to write a book for 10 years and can't get the book out. And then when I tell them that my first book, you know, when I wrote the first draft, it took me three months. But then when I went to go revamp it and and make it of more value, it only took me a month. And they're like, how? You know, but if you look at your life right now, it is enough, first of all, and it's enough. The book will write itself. It is looking at and breaking it down into how can that help someone else? What lessons did you yeah. learn that you can break down to help someone else along their journey? You know, you don't have to go out and learn new stuff. It's just even when they're thinking about writing the book and breaking it into, you know, individual chapters. Okay. So this part of your life, what did you learn in this part of your life? You can tell your story about that, but then you also tell the lessons that are learned that it's beneficial to somebody. It's your life. It's, it shouldn't take you 10 years. You know, you can write your book right now. And then if you need to write a part two, five years from now, because you've got five more years of experience to add on to that. Absolutely. And I think you said something that was so key and that I struggled with. It was like, you don't actually, if you find yourself having to go out and actually learn something new with the intent to regurgitate that in the form of a book, then you are on the wrong track. Like you absolutely should not do that because like I said, everything should be native to you and natural to you. And even in my coaching programs, one of the things that I teach is how to become a tour guide for the people that you are called to serve, whether that is through your business, whether that is through writing books or speaking or just whatever your your thing is. There there was two as I began to like go through this online world and just even just the influencer model and all the things that we see out there online and in the social media space, I began to see like two different types of people or entrepreneurs, if you will. And there were these people that I saw that were kind of serving as like travel agents. And so one of the things that when I think of a travel agent, these are like the people that are sending people places that they themselves have often never been. Right. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. we see that because we see a lot of people that will learn something, but they don't necessarily have the skill set or the experience to really, truly say they know how to do that or duplicate that for somebody else. And you have these travel agents that are sending their clients to places that they themselves have never been. So when their clients get there, um, there's a chance that their clients will still get lost or may not know the way around because there's literally nobody there in that space and in that new place that they sent them to, to show them Mm -hmm. the way. But Mm -hmm. I try to coach my clients into helping them to become tour guides for people. Meaning if you've ever been on like a trip and you've had an amazing tour guide, that tour guide is there with you on the journey and they are out front with you, showing you the shortcuts, telling you the history of the place that you're going through, telling you what to avoid and helping you fast track your way through a place that you otherwise would not have known your way around had they not been there. And so I try to tell them, how can you become a tour guide for your community and for your audience and for your clients, the people that you are called to lead? What is the place that you have been to time and time again throughout your life that you could help somebody fast track their way through because you've learned the shortcuts, you've learned the places to avoid 
you've learned the system, right, to get you through that particular place. And I think if we all can be reflective enough, there is something that we have in our life of value that we could actually serve as a tour guide for the people that we're called to serve in our lives. Like that place that you may even be ashamed of, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It may have um, been a place of trauma or like I said, just something that you've gone through, but now you have the actual system that you can actually walk others through that place to get a transformation. And, and so that they know that they are not alone, so that they know that there is hope, right? They know that there is a solution and you are serving now as that face of hope that they can actually have another way of living, thinking and being. I love how you've put that into the analogy of travel agent versus tour guide. And on top of everything that you've already explained about the two, I think it's very important, especially people who are looking for guidance or mentorship or coaching. You know, something that I always say is if you're going to look for a mentor, look for someone who is doing what it is that you would like to do. And only take advice from people that you are willing to switch places with. So for example, I don't know if I want marriage advice, I am going to speak to someone who is in a healthy, long-term committed marriage versus someone who was single and constantly dating somebody new every week, right? They they may be be able to give you their opinion, but in terms of wisdom on the actual experience and to guide you through things, you you want people who have experienced it. And I'm just blown away by just the analogy in itself because that just simplifies everything for me. (laughs) I love it. And that's so true. I think one of the things too that I see a lot of, and this was a mistake that I made a lot. I was looking for mentors, but I was just looking for people that were successful, like no matter what they were successful in, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just wanted to see a successful person, but it's not even just the fact that they are successful, but like you said, finding people that are going on the journey that you want to go on because there are nuances and just hidden booby traps, right? Like Mm -hmm. on every path and you need a person that has been successful in that. Right. Right. Like success is not just like I was just trying to find success for success sake. Right. But Mm -hmm. you need to find a person that is doing what you want to do that can help accelerate your your process um, through that area. If I mean, you know, when we talk about mentorship and coaching, like you want to find somebody that can help to accelerate you through that. And the only way that you can do that is to find somebody that is actually walking as, as your, you know, the title of your podcast that's walking in those shoes. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. they can help you to, to walk down that path as well. Yeah. Because oftentimes, for example, I work with celebrity ghostwriters and editors and other authors to help them publish their books behind the scenes. And I will do consultation calls with someone and they'll say, well, well, what about this, that, and the third? And then I will let them know through my experience, not only because I've published four of my own books, but I have many people that have best-selling books out there that I've published on the back end. So I'm telling them what to do. And they're like, oh, well, you know, people say that I should do this. Okay. Have any of those people ever published a book? Do not like, don't come to me with your travel agent advice when I am the tour guide. (laughs) Right, right, right. Like that is so yeah. true. That is yeah. so true. Yeah. It's it's just and it's so much advice out there, right? It's so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that you have to do is like really put your blinders on and keep your eyes on your own paper, right? Right. And right. 
just try to block out a lot of the noise. And I know for me, I've had to totally get okay with sometimes just muting everything, even those people that serve as mentors and, you know, tour guides for me when I find myself doubting my own path. Like, it's right. kind of like you have to really stay focused on that because sometimes we can feel like we're not doing enough mm-hmm. or we're not doing it fast enough because we're looking at other people's successes. And while that should serve as a place of inspiration, sometimes it gets us to where we get out of alignment with God and just our own journeys because we're looking at where other people are. So sometimes you have to like mute even the, even the people that serve as inspiration and motivation to you when you start having those types of thoughts. And I don't even know how that applied to what we were just talking about, but I feel that for some. No, it does so completely. <laughs> I it feel does. that for somebody. Like <laughs> you find yourself like getting distracted with all of this success that you see other people having, then you know, it it sometimes that's that's exactly what I've had to do with like to just kind of mute that other stuff. You know, it totally relates to what we were talking about because I'm thinking of I've had some past mentors and coaches that have been tour guides for me along the way, but they can only lead me to a certain point. And there mm-hmm. comes a point where I have to tap into my intuition. I have to follow my discernment and go with what God is telling me to do. You know, sometimes they may be able to lead you up until a certain point, but it doesn't necessarily align with your core values when you get to a certain point, or it may not necessarily Mm -hmm. align with the vision that God has for your life. So understanding when to, and even when you are being led by a coach or mentor, you should be tapping in, you know, having that conversation with God, tapping into your intuition and looking within, because oftentimes we're so busy looking on the outside, you know, looking at, Mm -hmm what we see on the outside for direction when the direction should be coming from within outside can give you some guidance and help you, you know, get over some of those potholes along the way and things like that. But you should be, you know, tapping into that intuition. And then even when you're inspired by somebody like the word inspired comes from being in spirit. So yes, you may connect with them, but then there is a certain point where that vision that you have was given to you and you only given to you for a reason. So the, even the person that you're inspired by, they may not even understand the level of the vision that's been given to you or the, the exactly. you know, assignment that is on your life. Right. And honestly, a good mentor and a good coach will help you find your uniqueness. Like they mm-hmm. don't want to duplicate themselves and make you right. a mini version of them. Like they want you to tap into that. Right. And mm-hmm. I think the thing to keep in mind is as we're on this journey, whether that is you're going into entrepreneurship or you're running for office or just something that you're doing, maybe you don't even have a frame of reference for what you're trying to do. You have to remember that what ever you do, it is going to require you to be brave, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to require you to understand that sometimes there won't be a buddy system. Um, As you're going through this, sometimes you won't get the applause or the affirmation on your idea. Everybody won't think it's brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. But you've got to know and just be brave to know that if God gave you that, then um, there's provision for it, right? If he gave you the vision, then pro means going before there's mm-hmm. a, there because that's exactly what provision is. It's attached to vision, not need, right? Right. So if when you have that vision, just knowing that if God gave you that, then He gave it to you for a reason. But it's going to require you to be brave because we won't always get, like you said, the external 
validation that we seek a lot of times to to, to feel like we're on the right path. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just going to be an inner knowing, even if it seems like it's going the opposite. There has to be an inner knowing to know that, okay, just because this isn't working or this person didn't validate it, it does not mean that I'm not on the right path. Right. And, and that's a huge point as well, because sometimes we are doing a thing and because we are not getting the outside validation, we may have this inner thought or inner voice that tells us, mm, I don't know. But if you look at, for example, okay, Noah's Ark, he, he built the Ark, right? It's like people mm-hmm, don't right. necessarily believe in what you're doing until they see a thing. And sometimes it has nothing to do with you. It has more to do with their belief or their limitations. You know, so you could say you want to do a thing and they may not even believe in the project or the thing that you're trying to do. But once you show them, you build the picture for them, you create the image for them, you show them what is possible. They may doubt it until they see that it's actually possible for that to happen. And that's so true. And one of the things that I've had to learn through my journey, like I said, I've served as an elected official before. I'm currently running for office. I mean, and, and in entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I've had to really get comfortable with is that Sometimes, and this is especially true with family, right? Because we feel like when we have an idea, we want to do something that family is supposed to be kind of like our built-in support system. And sometimes family are the last people to actually get on board with what you're doing. Because a lot of times it isn't that they don't necessarily not support you. It's sometimes that they don't know how to support you because Mm -hmm. they don't have a frame of reference for where you're headed. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't even have their frame of reference, right? We're going, you know, day by day, step by step, and just trusting God that we're on the right path. And a lot of times their doubt isn't necessarily because they doubt you. They just don't want you to fail or get hurt through Mm -hmm. the process. It comes from a place of love. Because Mm -hmm. they do. Yeah, it comes from a place of love. And they don't know how to support what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we take it personal as though they don't love me or they don't support me when in actuality, they just don't know how to support what you're doing because they don't have a frame of reference for it. God didn't give them the vision mm-hmm. and they just want the best for you in actuality. And sometimes that comes across as, Oh, they don't love me or they don't support me when that's really not the case when you get down to the brass tacks of it. Yeah. And there are a lot of women that I've coached that come to me at first, starting with that you know, I want to do this and my family doesn't support me. My friends don't support me or they don't understand. And they feel very alone. And I have to break it down to them and let them know it's not that they don't support you. You know, for example, when I started out, I've been an entrepreneur for 11 years. And when I started out doing real estate full time and it wasn't working out in the very beginning and everyone's like, maybe you should get a job. You know, you're now a single mom with three kids and you got a mortgage and a car payment. And, and I'm thinking, at the time, I was thinking, oh, you guys don't support me. You don't believe in me. But no, out of love <laughs> and out of a sense of security, yeah. their advice came from a place of concern. And it's not that they were thinking, oh, she can't do this. But oftentimes, it's about the vision that they have where they don't they don't believe that it's possible for them to do it or for them to come out of that situation that way. So then their advice to you comes from that place. But oftentimes because we are either, you know, from a place of ego, we're in our feelings and then we build anger and resentment because we're like, well, these people don't care about me. No, they do. Most times (laughs) it's not coming from a negative place, you know? So it's all about perspective. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so, that is so good. That is so key. And a lot of times they project their lack of confidence in their own ability to do it and they project it on you. But again, it's because most of the time it does come from truly a place of concern and just, you know, I want you to, to be successful. I want you to be stable. And a lot of times the traditional ways that we know how to do that is to just go get a job, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's stable. You get predictable income. And, you know, and I've been there, like you said, a lot of times it comes from ego, but sometimes it can also just come from, okay, I know that God told me to do this. And, you know, it comes from, sometimes it can come from a place of resolve within yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I'm going to stick with this knowing that at the risk of sounding like a cliche, you know, um, if God told me to do this, then he's going to make a way for me to do this. And most of the time that is the case like it comes through and again if you have to go that way to build certain parts of your character and to be tested in certain areas so that god knows that he can't trust you with more right mm-hmm, like if mm-hmm. we can't be committed in the lean seasons how can god you know and manage little how can god trust us with much and so there has to be sometimes a season like where we go through joseph where, you know, like Joseph did when God showed him all of these things, but everything that was happening to him in his life was the opposite of what God showed him. But mm-hmm. it was just the fact that he needed to be tested to see if he could actually be trusted with the abundance and with the power and the influence that God gave him later. And right. so I think the same goes with a lot of us. It's like we have to go through the testing period. And a lot of people don't want to go through that period because it doesn't feel good, right? Right. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to have this vision that God gave you of all of this grandeur, but like everything that you're going through is the exact opposite of what God showed you. And again, it's just sometimes God has to test you for the big things by how you handle the little things. Amen. Amen to that. That part about the testing period, you know, because it doesn't feel good. Like, girl, I have taken (laughs) all of my tests and made them my testimony. And all of you women have come on and shared, you know, your test and turned it into a testimony. And people don't, I don't want to say people don't understand, but I find people who are not entrepreneurs and I have nothing against anyone who, you know, chooses a nine to five or, you know, chooses that stability of a job, but their level of faith, and I'm not questioning anyone's faith, but I'm saying when you're an entrepreneur, you are living by faith. You oh, are living by faith every single day. There is no guarantee of a biweekly paycheck. There is no guarantee of a job tomorrow. There is no guarantee of income, right? You, you are literally letting go of control and living by faith. You are trusting in God. You are trusting in your abilities. You are trusting that things will work out. Like to me, I find entrepreneurship to be a different level (laughs) of faith. And I find that it forces me to release the idea that I am in control. It forces me to release that idea or that comfortability or that it, it removes that thought process of saying, I have a paycheck coming in tomorrow. No, I have to, every single day that I wake up, figure out how I'm going to serve in order to be rewarded financially with things. My days are not monotonous. You know, I just find it forces me to lean on God a lot more than if I yeah. was in a nine to five. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, for me, one of the things that I absolutely love 
about being an entrepreneur is that it gives you the ability to create. And our God was a creator, right? Mm-hmm. He was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Like he took and created everything just by just by the words that he spoke. And we have that same ability to create. And I just love the opportunity that being an entrepreneur, it gives you to create something and make something your own and to use literally what God gave you in terms of just your ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And and putting those things into action and creating something that can serve other people. Because it's while business is about money, right? We don't want to try to act like it's not. It is about money, but it's also about um, taking the limits off of your life and what you can have through the vehicle of entrepreneurship, whether that's getting into creating, you know, generational wealth or just creating jobs, you know, for other people to be able to to take care of their families and to create, you know, make a living for themselves. There are just so many things that I just love about the the opportunity to be an entrepreneur because it it opens up so many different ways for you to serve and to do marketplace ministry because again you're solving problems for people and mm-hmm. not even just the people that are your clients but like I said for the people that work for you um, helping them to build their skill sets and helping them to be able to be better providers for their family so there are so many things that I really truly love about it absolutely absolutely. I strongly believe, and I, I've learned this from my mentor, that money is a reward for service. You know, oftentimes people yeah. who are not making any money and they're, you know, concerned about how they're going to look at how can you serve? How can you be of service? And in order to multiply that and to make more money and to be, I'm going to say, you know, people coming to you and seeing you as a, a source of value and wanting to pay you and literally throw money at you, you know, look at the need for, you know, what you can do and your ability to do it. That's how I've been able to survive as an entrepreneur for 11 years as a single mom of three. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It is looking at how can you serve. And I think when you position yourself as a resource for people, or as a as a as an answer to people's most pressing problems, you don't really have a struggle with selling. Like mm-hmm. I found, especially with new entrepreneurs, like that's the biggest thing, and that was one of my biggest hurdles that I had to overcome was actually like asking people to pay me for something, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the thing when you know that you are simply exchanging value, right? You're yeah. exchanging the solution and they're giving you, like you said, just the, the byproduct of you being of service and you being that solution. It doesn't feel like this. I think people have kind of given just bad salespeople and scrupulous people in business have given selling a bad name. But of course, right. if you're not selling, you don't actually have a business. And so I think when you realize that this is just an exchange of value, right? Mm-hmm. Me, putting something out there. And that's why I always tell people when I talk to people that want to uh, get into entrepreneurship, never build a business off of something that you don't have a result in. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times we'll just say, oh, I just want to sell some stuff, you know, just Mm -hmm. sell some stuff or, um, you know, you, you see somebody else doing something and you really think that's really cool. So, oh, why don't I do that? But like find the thing that you know, again, that you can be a tour guide for and that you have results to that you have the results to support. Um, And then on top of that, 
not just stopping at looking at, okay, well, what results do I have that I know I could get for somebody else? But now you take it a step further and then you look at, okay, now what is the market actively and urgently seeking answers to right now, right mm-hmm. now? Because that right. changes, right? In terms of what's important right now. I mean, we see that in the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that even for me, I had to go out and get a whole new customer base, but it was looking at what results do I know how to provide for for this client base and what do they need answers to right now? And right. how can I make those things intersect to get to create a profitable offer for my business? Meaning that the things that I know that I can deliver for them and the things that they're actively looking for, at what place do those things meet to create the profit that I need in my business? Wow. Wow. See? And, and so, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I always tell people. Like, it's not that it's not rocket science. Like, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. does not have to be hard. I think we make it hard when we're that's when business is hard. It's like when you're looking at things that are not authentic to you, that don't align with your story, that don't align with your journey, that mm-hmm. don't align with your skill set. That's when business is hard. But right. if you're aligning all of those things in terms of what is natural to you, and what you know that you could actually serve people in, it's not hard at all. And it helps you combat imposter syndrome, which mm-hmm. is huge. Because mm-hmm. if you are trying to do things that you don't necessarily, you may know about them, right? But you don't necessarily know how to duplicate it. Like I think if, if I tell my nephew, you know, two plus two equals four, and he repeats, oh yeah, two plus two equals four. Does he really know how to add? No, he doesn't know the skill of it. He just has the knowledge of, okay, two plus two equals four, but that's all he has. And I see a lot of people doing that. They're getting the two plus two equals four, but they don't actually have the experience or the skill set to actually teach somebody else how to actually add. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? I hope this makes sense. Like, and I think when you're doing the two plus two equals four thing and you're just seeing and taking knowledge from other people's courses or Googling things and trying to regurgitate that and putting and calling it a coaching business or whatever you're calling it, you know, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. when business is hard. And that's when you feel like a fraud, because essentially you are, you know, if mm-hmm. you can't really deliver those results for somebody and help somebody else to get it, then, yeah, that, that's when imposter syndrome takes over and not that imposter syndrome does not happen to women that are genuinely good at what they do. But when you know you're genuinely good at what you do and you know you know what you know, nobody can tell you what you don't know. And you have something to fight against imposter syndrome when you know your stuff and you can- Yeah, you you have the confidence from your competence. Yeah, and you have receipts to actually say, you know what, Uh uh-uh, I know what I'm doing. Get behind me, Satan. Like, Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing here. You know, so let's move on past it. But if you don't have those results and those receipts, again, that's when business is hard. And that's when you don't get results for your clients. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have dropped so many gems. Uh, I, I feel like if we even unpack that, we're going to be on here for like another 45 minutes. So I want <laughs> before we go to the final segment, I want you to tell people where they could stay connected with you online to get more gems. Sure, absolutely. So I'm really active over on Instagram and you can find me there at Rachel L. Proctor or you can actually go to my website. That's where I genuinely update things in terms of like free trainings that I'll have or if I'm launching, you know, another cohort for my coaching program. And that is www.rachellproctor.com. Perfect. So I will have those direct links in the details section so they can just click and connect. They don't have to search too far. 
Absolutely. And I do, I do respond to DMs on Instagram as long as they are appropriate. I want to clear the room on that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I do actually, I love to have conversations with you guys and chat it up with you guys about most anything. So yeah, hit me up over there. Awesome. Awesome. So for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I just ask a couple of quick reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind, whether it be one word or one sentence. Okay. All right. What do you wish women would do more of? Take time for themselves. Mm. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. Request for my time. Mm. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Being more comfortable with public failure. I wish Mm. I could unpack that. (laughs) No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Permission to unpack. (laughs) Well, I think being okay with public failure, because as you can, as you go to different heights in your life, I know for me last year, I ran, I ran for mayor. I'd been on council for six years prior to that um, and, and served in many different roles publicly, but I lost. So there's no way to say that it didn't happen. Right. Because it was Mm -hmm. a public, it was a public thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I had not been okay before I actually got, because getting into the race, there was a chance I could win or lose. Right. And I think us not being okay with possibly failing publicly stops us from pursuing a lot of the things that God has really given us a calling to pursue because we're not okay with the fact that I could possibly not get it. And, you know, it would be public. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we get okay with, you know, win or lose, if it's not the thing, then it's the thing that's going to lead me to the thing, whether I win or fail. And I I think that's really been a game changer for me in terms of my pursuit and just my courage to pursue other things, knowing that, yeah, there's a chance that I might not get it and that people will know that. And there's no way that I can't say that it didn't happen. Right. But Mm -hmm. I've got to be okay with that to not keep myself in a place of stagnation as well. I love that. I love, like, even as you say that, I'm like, oh, do I have time? I want to say this. (laughs) When I ran for office in 2018 for um, MPP, so here in Canada, that's member of provincial parliament. I don't know if that, I think that equates to like running for state, I believe over there. But I knew going in, there was a huge chance that I would not win. But what I also knew is that there were other young Black girls who were coming up behind me that need to see that something is possible. And I chose to still run. I chose to still put in the work and sacrifice my time to be a public servant. And in the end, when I did not win, I wasn't devastated to say, oh my God, I failed and I failed publicly. It was the image that I provided for other young girls who grew up in government housing like me. The image that I provided Mm. for other young moms who were teenagers when they had kids like me to show them what is possible. And that year was the most amount of Black candidates ever running at the same time in history. Wow. So, you know, oftentimes we're afraid of public failure, not realizing the many wins within that. And it may not necessarily have to be our individual win. Wow. That's bringing tears to my eyes. (laughs) that literally is bringing tears to my eyes because you I thought I was saying something but no like that is so true there are so many wins even in a loss 
mm-hmm. because like you said, just that image, that image is like permanently ingrained in those young women's minds now. Like you can't take away that image. You can't right. unknow what you now know. Right? right. And so to be able to put that out there, despite, like you said, winning or losing, like this is the bigger reason why. Yeah. And I think we make it so myopic and I'm going to mm-hmm. get off of this, but I just feel this. I really feel this seriously. My tears are in my eyes. I think we make it so myopic and make it be about winning and losing when winning and losing isn't even the point, right? Right. It's about helping other women and other people, just whoever it is, to know that there are other possibilities for their life when they may have been in a place to where they felt like there was no other option. Mm -hmm. And so serving as that image is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes we need to take ourselves out of the thing. And, you know, majority of our conversation has been about leadership and service, you know, and and I commend you for running for office right now because people who don't know, they assume that it's about ego. It's about, oh, you get to be front and center and all these things. And I know there are people who are in politics who may be very well narcissistic, but not everybody is that way. And there are some of us who are out here who genuinely come from a place of service. So whether it is that you win or that you lose, you are serving at some capacity on a large scale through the process from start to finish. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) On that on that. I want to thank you, Rachel, for taking the time to join us. I truly appreciate you. Yeah, I've had so much fun. This was such a great conversation. Thank you. You have blessed me today. So thank you. Wow. Same goes for you. (laughs) (laughs) And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. And don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to join the community of Faith Walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkmystilettos.com and be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And I'm going to challenge you today. If you can think of at least three people that would receive value from Rachel's story, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Rachel at Rachel L. Proctor. You can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. Continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>